Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, folks, we've been over the last few weeks journeying through Luke on an earth walk. We've been kind of been looking at the life of Jesus Christ. And from that, we've been trying to broaden our concepts of who Christ is. Because remember, I've told you that if you think about it, you know, I've been a believer now for 25 years. And in that time, I've heard many messages and continue to. I mean, the week doesn't go by that I don't listen to somebody's preaching or the wonderful thing about the Internet is is that you can listen to everybody. And the reality is is that in all of the messages, if you were to think about all of the messages that you've heard, you realize that you may think that you know a lot about Jesus, but the reality is is you probably don't. Oh, you know Him as Savior. You know He died for you. You, you know that He went to the cross and that He was raised again on the third day. You know that he's with the Father and that one day he's coming back. But if you really ask yourself as far as who he is, what was it that he was teaching, what is it about him, you probably don't know very much about him because maybe over the time you've heard a lot of messages, salvation messages about how to come to Jesus. Maybe heard a lot of messages about what you're not supposed to do and what you are supposed to do, about how you're supposed to handle this and how you're supposed to handle that and be a great dad over here and be a great mom and what a family looks like. And But if you think about it, the person of Jesus really hasn't been broadened in your mind. So that's what we've been doing. We've been kind of over the last few weeks taking a journey. And so here's what we've seen so far about him. He was pretty radical. He stood in the face of the religious system of his day and the reality of all that it was saying about how you should live your life. And he comes along and he turns it upside down. And so at this point, by the time we're here at chapter 6, they're pretty irritated with him. They're already at this point deciding that they need to get rid of him because he's upsetting the apple cart. See, their system was based on self-righteousness, that as long as they were doing the right things, they were okay with God. And everybody else who wasn't doing the right things, they're not okay with God. They need to be rejected. But Jesus comes along, and he brings to them a whole different concept. He reaches out to the unacceptable. He reaches out to those who are the outcasts. He rejects those who look at themselves for their own spirituality and making sure that they have everything okay. So that's what we've seen so far. Now we come to this place in verse 17 of chapter 6. It's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's more like teaching from the mountaintop. Because when you think of a sermon, you think about, well, that's what you're doing, George. Well, he's actually teaching here because it's more, I mean, if you were to take the time it would took for him to teach all of that, it's all day long. And you know how we are. We can't take more than we've got to be out of here by 12. And now, what I want you to understand is, is that this is a very key section of verses. Because now, we've seen all his actions about how he's turning the world upside down. He's actually going to start communicating to you what's most important. What we should be living for. 
And especially today, we're going to look at what is known as the Beatitudes. Now, Luke includes something a little bit different than just the blesseds. It also includes four woes. But what God is going to show us here through Jesus and his words is that his ways are not our ways. What we're going to see here are four blessings and four woes. They're not separate. They're actually together. So it's not like four different things that he blesses. What he's blessing is is a frame of mind where you're at. And what he's pronouncing woe on is a frame of mind where you're at. Well, let's look at them, and, I'll, and I think we'll, we'll understand. Look, first of all, we're going to look at some introductory matters in verses 17 through 19, and then we'll get to the Beatitudes. Look with me, verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of his diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him, and he healed them all. Stop for a moment. I want you to think about that. There's a great, big multitude of people from all over Galilee, Judea, from Jerusalem, from Southern Lebanon, that's when it talks about Tyre and Sidon. Southern Lebanon, they all come to Jesus. They bring all of their sick. They bring all of their demon-possessed. And what is Luke telling us here? What does he do? He heals them all. Isn't that awesome? Let's go on. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. So did their fathers to the false prophets. Here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to, first of all, we're going to take this section into three parts. We're going to see the desire for Jesus. We see that in verses 17 through 19, and I have some points I want to make there with you. We're going to see the invitation, which are the four blessings, and then we're going to see the warning, which are the four woes. And hopefully from that we can gain something. So let me just stop for a moment. Let me, let me just kind of help you understand where we're going. First of all, do you realize that every one of you is a creature of desire? Does everybody understand that? Every one of you here is a creature of desire. What do I mean by that? You basically right now are desiring something. There is something that you want. Now, as we get closer to the noon hour, I know what everybody wants. They want that chicken and those burgers and and those hot dogs. And let's get out of here, George, and let's go have that fun. Every one of us here has a desire. Now, some of your desires may be tainted by sin. What do you mean by that? 
You may be tainted by an addiction where you are addicted to something, so your body is craving something. Some of your desires may be tainted by your ambition. Maybe you want a certain promotion, you want a certain job, you want to achieve something in your life. Maybe your desire is for stuff. You want to have certain things and have the house just so. Every one of us is a creature of desire. We have desires. The problem is is how we seek to fulfill them. Now, let me explain something to you. The world offers to fulfill your desires, does it not? All you have to do is watch. That's the whole premise of what a commercial is. Commercials are not there just to irritate you, to stop you from watching your show. They're there to sell you something. They're promising to fulfill your what? Desire. In fact, they're there to introduce you to a desire you never thought you had before. You know what I'm talking about with the kids' shows, moms and dads. You know, they're watching the show, and then all of a sudden they see a commercial for some kind of toy that you never knew existed. They didn't even know it existed, but now they can't live without it. What happened? A desire was created, and the world offers to what? Fulfill our desires. What we're going to see here is that there is a desire for Jesus. We're going to see that now. Look at verse 17 and 19. Look what it says. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from what? All Judea, Jerusalem, from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their what? Diseases. The first thing I want you to see is, is that many people seek him. Many people seek him. You know, that's true today. Many people are seeking Jesus. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Their reasons are not the same, but many people are seeking Jesus. They want something from Jesus. It's true today. People come to church for different reasons. Maybe things aren't going well in their life right now, so they figure, well, maybe if I get back in with God, God will help me out of this. And so here's what happens. They'll come until they get through their crisis, and if they don't need God anymore, fine, they leave. Or if it didn't turn out right, then they're angry with God for the rest of their lives, and they'll never show up again because they cried out to him and he didn't do anything. The fact of the matter is is that people seek him. Many people seek him. They were seeking them in Jesus' day, and they had all their different reasons. Some thought he was the Messiah. They wanted to come see that. Some came selfishly because they thought, is there something I can get from him? Some came because maybe they were sick or they had a sick loved one and they wanted Jesus to heal them. The fact of the matter is the passage tells us that many people seek him. But the reality is, we see this in verse 19. Look with me. Luke wants to make a point here. And the whole multitude sought to touch him. Why? Look what it says. For power went out from him and healed them all. Here's the reality. Their motives were self-serving. Their motives were self-serving. Now you say, well, George, wait a minute now. If I'm, I'm sick, is there something wrong with me going to Jesus to be healed and to have Jesus fix my problem? And No. But the fact is, it's still self-serving. You're there for you. You're there for what you can get from Him. And let's be honest, a lot of our prayers are the same way, aren't they? When we pray, we go to Him and we cry out to Him, God, I need you to do this. And it's okay. It's okay to be self-serving. I mean, he's, He is the Heavenly Father. So like when my kids come to me and say, Daddy, I need you to do this, they're being self-serving. But it's okay. And these folks were 
self-serving. So to that atmosphere of this crowd who's there for themselves, wanting something from him, he gives an invitation and he gives a warning. And let's look at it. First of all, the invitation. Look with me. It says, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when you hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Here's some things I want you to see. First of all, number one, God is aware of your desperation. Here's what he's doing. Blessed. The word blessed is, can I be honest with you, it it can be translated happy. And how you can come alongside of this passage is to say, happy is the one who is poor. Happy is the one who is hungry. Happy is the one who is weeping. Happy is the one who is being persecuted and reviled for Jesus' sake. Now you're saying, wait a minute, that just seems like a contradiction. If you're poor, you're hungry, you're crying, people are whooping on you, how in the world are you going to be happy? Here's what he's saying. When you're in that state, you're in a state of desperation, and God is aware of it. See, a lot of times we enter into this mindset, when we're there and we're wanting something from him, is he aware? He's aware. He's aware of where you're at. He's aware of what you're going through. He's aware of the things you're struggling with. He's aware of your situation. He's aware of your hunger. He's aware of of the problems that are going on. He's aware of your financial difficulties. He's aware of your health issues. He's aware of them. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have this concept that he's got a war in Afghanistan and Iraq. He's got Al-Qaeda and all this other stuff to take care of. Why is he worried about me? He's worried about you. He's aware. And if you're desperate for Him, He's aware of you. Isn't that awesome? The God of the universe is aware. Jesus is saying, blessed are you. Why? Because God is aware of your situation. Here's what else He says. Jesus offers the promise of something more. Jesus offers the promise of something more. Here's what He's saying. Guys, for the poor... Blessed are the poor. Why? For yours is the kingdom of God. You're right now, you're struggling financially, you're in a cycle where it's always downward. Just when you think you're getting ahead, something else happens, and there goes your savings or what little bit you have. You might lose your job, and it just seems like you can't get ahead. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. And there you are, you think like, man, I will never achieve, I will never get ahead. Here's what he says. Blessed are you, because I've got something better for you. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. Blessed are you who are hungry. You want T-bone steak, but it's venison, once again, if you have that. Do you know what I'm saying? Blessed are you. Why? Because maybe you're going without a meal. You're going to be filled. I offer you something more. You're going to be satisfied. That's what actually that word full of there means. It means satisfaction. He goes on and says, Blessed you who are weeping. You're going to laugh. Some of you here, there's no joy in your life. 
You look at your life and all you see is everything that has happened and it just seems like when it rains, it pours and life is just pouring down upon you one difficulty after another and you just want to weep. And maybe you are weeping. And what does he say? I offer you something more. You're going to laugh. He goes on and he talks about even those who are facing persecution and their names are being slandered for his sake. Rejoice in that day. He's offering the promise of something more. You're here, you're desperate, you want something more. Jesus says, you're going to have it. But there's another point I want you to see here. He is our satisfaction. He is our satisfaction. The reason why, if you're hungry, if you're weeping, if you're poor, if you're being persecuted, the reason why you can be happy is because Jesus offers you something more. And what He offers you is is that He offers you Himself. He's our joy in the midst of our difficulties. He's our satisfaction to our souls. Think about it for a moment. Let's, let's just back up. Let's back up just from chapter 4 all the way up to this point in chapter 6. Here's Jesus. He comes. He starts his ministry. He calls his disciples. He comes into communities. He teaches in the synagogues. He heals. In fact, he's showing the very thing that he's saying here in this passage. Because the people he reaches out to are the ones who are desperate. They are the poor. They are the hungry. They are the ones who are weeping. And what does he do? He heals them. He raises the dead. He feeds them. He is our satisfaction. Now notice the ones he doesn't go to. It's the ones who are self-righteous, the self-righteous moral people who got their acts together, who aren't doing the wrong things, who are doing all the right things. They show up in a synagogue on time. They take it to places of honor. In fact, they're upset with him because he's reaching out to the desperate. And remember what Jesus said to them right here in Luke. He said what? The well have no need of a physician. I haven't come to seek the righteous but sinners. He's our satisfaction. He's our satisfaction. That's the invitation. But there is a warning here, and I think it's so important that we understand the warning here. Because here you are, you're desperate and you're desperate in these areas. You're desperate because you are hungry. You're desperate because you are poor. You're desperate because you are weeping and you want joy again in your life. And here's what happens is, is that we often seek for it somewhere else other than Jesus. So he pronounces these woes. He pronounces the woes upon the rich, those who are laughing, those who are filled. And, and here's the reason why. Look with me, verse 24 through 26. Let me read them to you. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Here's what I want you to see. Number one, here's what Jesus is saying. What the world offers is only for the moment. You know what? There's a parallel passage. It's in John, 1 John. I'll, I'll turn there. You don't need to. 1 John chapter 2. The Apostle John writes this, Do not love the world or the things in the world, for if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that, the, that is in the world, 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Here John is basically dividing things down into three things. He's dividing them down into pleasure, possession, and position. Pleasure, possession, and position. That's basically, when you look here, look, look, at these, look at these things that he's pronouncing woe on. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn. Woe to you when men speak well, for so they did their fathers to the false prophets. Basically, when you look at that, pleasure, possession, position, that's in those woes. He's pronouncing, he's warning us, don't seek after those things. Don't, don't seek to satisfy yourself with the stuff the world has to offer. Why? It's only for the moment. It's only for the moment. But boy, we seek after it, don't we? We make our plans. We lay aside. We do what we can. We, we, we adjust our houses. We try to get the promotions. And, but we can't foresee everything, can we? Can we? And you know, it's interesting. You know, it's interesting here. Notice it says, for when you are full, for so shall you hunger. You see the point Jesus is making here? What the world has to offer is only for what? The moment. So you seek after the riches. Jesus says you have your consolation. So you seek after fame. He makes a good point here. So did the fathers to the false prophets. I mean, praise. I mean, you think about some of the schmucks we praise. How would you like to be that city in Wisconsin that gave Sodom Hussein the key to their city? Do you know what I'm saying? What the world offers is only for the moment. And here's what the point is. is In the end, it's meaningless. This is what Jesus is trying to say. When you're seeking the stuff the world has to offer, it's meaningless. So you're rich. Fine. There's nothing more later on. So you're filled. You'll hunger again. So you're laughing. You're going to weep. So you seek acclamation. They acclaim people who aren't worthy. All of it is ultimately meaningless. And that's what Jesus is trying to get our attention about. You say, now how does that fit in? Let me just stop for a moment, George. How does that fit in with what we've known about Jesus? He's there to turn things upside down. Well, here's what I want you to understand. The religious people of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, and I would say somewhat even today of us today in our churches, when you look at what we're striving for, what is it? The stuff of this world? The stuff that this world has to offer? Think about it for a moment. Pleasure, possession, position. Pleasure, possession, position. Those are the things we strive for, is it not? If only I could get a bigger paycheck. If only I could have this position at work. If only I could have this toy, then I will be satisfied. But are we? See, Jesus is our satisfaction. It's not the emptiness of this world. That's what he's telling us. Let me give you three thoughts. Number one, are you desperate? Are you desperate here? Remember I told you we're all creatures of desire, but the reality is, is, are you desperate? You're, you're, some of you, you're here, you're desperate for something. 
And if you sat back and thought about it, you'd realize that you're desperate for something. Maybe for some of you, can I be honest with you, it's it's a better position in life. You're you're desperate to to get ahead. And and for some of you, maybe it's desperate for a position at work. Or or some of you, you're desperate for this and desperate for that. When you're younger, you get more desperate. You've got all these dreams. They're basically desperations. Midlife crisis, I know I've been there is when you realize your desperations don't come true. Some of you are laughing. You know what I'm talking about. Because the things you, quote, dream for but were desperate for don't happen. So what are you going to do now? What are you desperate for? The question actually goes beyond that. Are you desperate for God who can fulfill it, or are you desperate for something else? Do you understand what I'm saying? What are you desperate for? Are you desperate for a relationship? Are you desperate for retirement? See, listen, think about the stuff that we are desperate for. If it's of this world, how much control do you have over it? Folks, how much? What are we desperate for? Here's the thing. Recognize the emptiness of what the world offers. This is what Jesus is trying to help us to understand. Because here's the thing. When you're poor and you're hungry and you're weeping... And there you are, you're being persecuted for his sake. You want, you're desperate for something more. But the problem is, is that we tend to look for it where? In what the world has to offer. And what the world has to offer, my friends, is emptiness. No satisfaction. None whatsoever. None. Just ask some of the wealthiest men in the world. I thought it was interesting. I saw an article that was asking some of the wealthiest men in the world who have everything. They have billions what do you want more? One guy was very honest. Here's what he said. More money. I mean, he doesn't have a need for anything. But does he really? Yes, he does. Because his need, his desire, even with all that he has, is not satisfied. Why? Because, because what? What the world has to offer is emptiness. Now, isn't it interesting? We look at that and say, well, I'd like to have just a little bit of what he has, and I'll be satisfied. No, you won't. There's a story I think I've shared with you before, the story of a, an old English lord who had a manor, and he had some servants. And one day, one of his maids was talking with another maid, and she said, if I only had a hundred pounds, I will be perfectly satisfied. And the old lord was walking by at that time, and he said, my dear, here's a hundred pounds. I would like to see what a perfectly satisfied woman is. And then he walked off, and as he walked off, he heard her say to the other maid, I should have asked for two. <laughs> this is what I'm saying, what the recognize the emptiness of what the world offers. So this brings me to my final point, embrace Jesus. Embrace him. Folks, he's our satisfaction. Is there no joy in your life? Long ago, you were robbed of it through some circumstance. You're not going to find it in another relationship. You're not going to find it in, in a drug. or You're not going to find it in work. You're not going to find it in pleasure or sex. You're not going to find it in all the stuff that this world has to offer. You're only going to find your joy and your peace in one person only, folks. Jesus. He's the true satisfier of our souls. He's the lover of our souls. So here you are, you're desperate, you're desperate. You want something more. You may even be here today and you're seeking and you want something more. 
embrace Him. Find the satisfaction of your soul. Find your satisfaction in me. That's what Jesus is saying. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.